The following KOPN podcast is made possible by the generous donations of listeners like you. Please consider a donation to listener-supported community radio, KOPN. You can donate securely on our website at kopn.org. Hi, welcome to Food Sleuth Radio, where we help you think beyond your plate. I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture and find food truth. And today I'm honored to welcome my guest, Dr. Urvashi Rangan. She has been a scientific investigator, policy and label decoder, and advocate on a wide range of food safety and sustainability issues for the last 20 years, most recently at Consumer Reports, where she was the executive director of the Food Safety and Sustainability Center. At Consumer Reports, Dr. Rangan led several scientific investigations, including arsenic in food, mercury in fish, antibiotic-resistant bacteria in meat, poultry, and shrimp, and caramel color cancer risk in soda. She also developed one of the first rating schemes for food sustainability labels and has conducted several national consumer surveys on attitudes and expectations of food production practices and labels. Her work has helped prompt changes in laws, standards, and policies in food labeling. Dr. Rangan received her Ph.D. in Environmental Health and Toxicology from Johns Hopkins School of Public Health. She is now the Chief Science Advisor to the Grace Communications Foundation and serves as a member of the FDA Food Advisory Committee. She is the winner of three Sigma Chi Delta Awards in investigative journalism, notably on chicken, beef, and antibiotic resistance in meat production. We are going to talk about assorted labeling, consumer confusion, certification programs, etc., and hopefully demystify a lot of what we see in the marketplace. So welcome, Dr. Rangan. Thanks so much, Melinda. It's great to be here. Well, you have done so much work, clearly, in investigating food and nutrition and food safety, policy and labeling. When you were doing those investigative studies, What stories in particular jumped out at you and surprised you, shocked you, that you want consumers to know about? Maybe two stories come to mind, I think, that really shocked me in the process or right before we went into testing. And all those stories took about a year to do at least. Some of them took a little bit longer to do all the testing and analysis that needed to be done. The first one, I think, was after I did an arsenic risk assessment of how much arsenic was in apple and pear juices, and it was FDA's own data. And just when you threw it into the basic cancer equations for arsenic, what came up was just very frightening in terms of how much could be present in a lot of these foods. So juices like apple juice and grape juice are one, and rices are another high-risk food when it came to arsenic. And It's such a potent carcinogen. The more we learn about it, the more we know how harmful it is. And yet, you know, baby's first diet is mostly rice, and they can eat a lot of arsenic, or kids drink a lot of juice. And so that was really surprising and a little horrifying from a toxicology perspective, how risky the levels were in these products for public consumption in general, but and especially for kids. So I I think that was a real surprise for me as a scientist and just crunching the numbers and almost not believing what I was crunching. Right. And we didn't have any standards for that in food. We have standards for arsenic and water. And so from a policy perspective, there was so much to be done 
and to talk about. And at that time, the FDA had sort of shrugged off that problem as a non-problem. They had sort of come out and said that. And our investigations, we did sort of four different investigations around arsenic and food, led to some changes in that too, which were great. And um, so do we have a safer food supply now with regard to arsenic? Wow. Well, I always hate to think. I think yes in the sense that there were some other things related to, say, arsenic and rice or arsenic and juice that we were advocating about. And one of them was these arsenical drugs that were being fed to poultry in order to sort of a anti-coxistatal drug. It deals with, you know, certain parasites in the gut, but it also pinks the meat. And so chickens were literally being fed arsenic-based drugs, and then it went out into their manure. And when the arsenic that they were eating, which is called organic arsenic, it has nothing to do with organic production, but that chemical form of it would actually morph into an even more toxic form of it, which is an inorganic state in the manure. And then we fertilize everything with that. And so that cycle of feeding chickens, arsenic drugs, it going out in manure, then you take that fertilizer, you fertilize rice, you fertilize other things. But there are certain crops that like to take it up more than others. So that was a really bad feedback loop where we were literally putting more arsenic into our food system. Mm-hmm. So we... We're able to do away with that policy and less is going in as a result in that. A lot of groups were working on that. Food and Water Watch was working on that and Center for Food Safety was working on that as well. So it was definitely, it took a village, but it was something that eventually toppled over and now there are no arsenical drugs approved for poultry feed. That's fantastic. And, you know, it's interesting because of your work with food labels, When we talk about what we see on the food label versus what is missing, I think this is such an important conversation because as a consumer and a parent, I, of course, want to be able not only to know how much of the basic nutrients are available in a food, I want to be able to look at the ingredient label and know that ingredients are listed in order of predominance. That's a good basic consumer tool. Mm -hmm. But we never know about the contaminants. Like, I also want to know how much pesticide residue is in my food. I want that to be on a label as well. Yeah, and I think a lot of consumers feel the exact same way. And in the national surveys that we did, we even found people wanted to know, overwhelming majority, that if an animal product was made with antibiotics, they wanted that on the package too. They wanted to know that it was raised with antibiotics. Right now, that labeling requirement isn't there, and it's only people who voluntarily want to make the inverse claim, right? No antibiotics that, that we go for. So there is so much we don't know. Secondary food additives are another big area, long name for basically a way to not put an ingredient on a panel, and it has to do with whether the secondary additive is used in a processing aid, let's say like a filter, or it's in packaging and the lining. Mm. And you don't have to put that on the package. And that's the whole controversy around BPA in a lot of ways was when, you know, was it leaching from a can liner into the food? It was. We were able to document that in that particular study almost 10 years ago. 
but it didn't get counted in the ingredient. In fact, the agency, FDA, wasn't even looking at it like an ingredient because it was a secondary food additive and it's not regarded in the same way because it's not expected to impart that much into the food. So that, along with old science, made that a very controversial, difficult issue. And nobody knew about it because nobody was supposed to know about it because it was never on the ingredient list to begin with. Right. And, of course, the industry wants us to think that this older view of toxicology where the dose makes the poison, and then you find out, oh, my goodness, for some of these endocrine-disrupting chemicals, very, very tiny amounts can actually be biologically active. Yeah, and BPA working on that issue, that was the most astonishing about that, was that when you looked at the animal studies, they were giving doses that were, you know, humans were exposed to in, say, a couple, eating a couple canned foods a week or a day. And those doses elicited hormonal disruption systems in these animal studies to the point of even causing more mammary tumors, prostate tumors, lots of things that were discounted because there was no sort of human evidence of it. But what it brought to light was exactly what you're talking about, this dose-response relationship. And it's always damning when you take a dose that you know is in people and that is actually causing a biological response in an animal system, let alone a cancerous response. And that, from a toxicology point of view, is pretty serious. There's no margin of safety in terms of that amount. Um, and that's where we were with BPA. So it was sort of hard to see in the population and in part because everybody was exposed to it. Right. 96% of people. So it was very hard to dissociate that. So you had to go to the animal studies and take a look. And when you layered the epidemiology of relational issues and what might be related to one another but not causally associated, and then you looked at the animal studies where you can make some causal associations and even the cell studies, it really painted a very damning picture. And because of that old science notion that dose made the poison, we felt the industry was about 20,000 times off in terms of their calculation of a safe dose for people from that particular agent. And Mm. that's a pretty big number. Well, I consider you to be my go-to person for label interpretation and label updates. And I think that you've done so much great work in this area. I want to provide the link to your TED Talk that you gave, which is great, talking about these very confusing labels. So let's talk about those. I, I take for granted that everybody knows now that natural means nothing, but perhaps we do need to go over that because I see natural slapped on everything. I know some food manufacturers have stopped using it yeah, because of lawsuits, but I still find products on the shelf that have, you know, green packaging, pictures of a farm, a pasture, a natural label. Tell me what natural means. Yeah, and maybe even to back up one more step, natural is part of a category of labels that it really bleeds the marketing slash truthful lines of things. And it because of our marketing rules and how lax they are to some degree, it allows manufacturers to use claims like natural, which have very few to no standards, and we'll talk about what those are exactly for them, and no verification whatsoever. So really a company can make that claim 
pretty much doing whatever they want to do and adding whatever they want to. There have been lots of lawsuits. There have been a lot of companies who have stopped. Last February, actually, Consumer Reports did a campaign. We did one product a day of the natural label on major products and why it wasn't natural, why it it was really misleading in some ways. It wasn't illegal. You know, the government sort of allowed them to do that and what they were doing, but using chemical processing aids, for example, or xanthan gum sounds really natural, but it's actually the slime from a bacteria that has to be extracted with chemicals to get it. You know, so natural origin, but is it really natural? Or cellulose, which is really wood pulpish stuff (laughs) in It was craft shredded cheese to keep the cheese pieces separated. Yeah. So how natural that is for you, I think it it does mislead a lot of consumers to think that. So natural on meat only means nothing uh, artificial is added to the cut of meat itself. It just has nothing to do with how it's raised or what it ate or if it were on drugs the whole time or had physical alterations or was confined. It just has nothing to do with any of those things, and that's why... Labels like organic and many of the certified grass-fed labels and animal welfare approved, there are a number of what we call certified labels that are out there with a set of standards. And while not all of them may be perfect, they are a set of standards that are verified, and hopefully they're verified by a third party of some sort who's not profiting from the sale of them. But that's a system in place that really does provide for some very good labels out there that people can trust. The problem is you can throw a nice pretty circle around any word out there. You can make up a label, and it can look like something even more, right? It doesn't tell you what is behind it or what isn't behind it. Right. There's a local supermarket chain in my part of the Midwestern region that has signs in the aisles, natural and organic. And so the supermarket industry is further contributing to consumer confusion. There's no question of that. I think that's absolutely true, and it started as a natural and organic section. And, you know, from uh, the natural, I've talked to a lot of people who, who run just really the natural food stores and not even a supermarket that's lumping them together. And I think that maybe decades ago, you know, there wasn't so much conflict with those two things. Organic was something that was more in its infancy. It was kind of the organic and natural food market because organic ended up being what natural should be. And natural right now is a way for companies to sound organic but not really be organic. And so you get why people want to conflate those, but it really can cheat consumers and does. it does cheat them. And That's why people need to become a little more savvy about making sure that if you're going to pay more, that you're actually getting more. Exactly. Um, And and what's beyond organic, too, you know, and the value sort of tiers out there. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, you know, it also cheats the farmer, the organic farmer who's going through the rigors of the certification process only to have this natural label in the marketplace that is stealing from his or her share of the marketplace. You know, it's astonishing organic's actually done as well as it's done, given it has to do it in this climate of what I like to call green noise, but just it's so noisy in the market, and consumers are making the wrong choices. 
they think they're making the right choices, but they end up making the wrong choices because it's so difficult to decipher out there. But that's really absolutely true that the people who are going the extra mile, doing the extra work, paying the extra cost, going through the extra paperwork to do it all, they are the ones being cheated. And and that hampers what consumers ultimately want in the food system, and that's it, it really does sort of delay all the progress in food that so many of us want, want to see have happen. Exactly. Listeners, if you're just joining us, you are tuned into Food Sleuth Radio, where we are joined by Dr. Urvashi Rangan. She is the Chief Science Advisor for Grace Communications Foundation and formerly the Executive Director for Food Safety and the Sustainability Center and Director of Consumer Product Safety at Consumer Reports. I'm really glad you used the term green noise because I think that is a beautiful way to describe the marketplace. And I want to talk about another label that is very confusing that I see slapped on a lot of egg and meat packages, and it is free range. What does that mean? (laughs) I know. And, you know, for something that sounds like you should understand what it means, it so far off of that. So free range, unfortunately, doesn't have much more of a definition than a sentence from the U.S. Department of Agriculture. And just to make matters more confusing, the USDA regulates meat, but FDA regulates dairy and eggs in the shell. And so if you see free range on dairy or eggs in a shell, then that's different than if you see free range on a chicken broiler. Two different agencies are managing that. FDA has no definition whatsoever for free range. So on an egg carton, just really doesn't have to mean anything. And same thing, I guess, if you were to see it on any kind of dairy product as well or butter. In terms of meat, it means that the animals have the option to go outdoors for an undetermined period every day. And so it's it's that you could open and close a door essentially and do that for 10 minutes a day and you would be providing the option to go outdoors. So if you have a house with tens of thousands of birds, let's say 30,000 birds, which can happen, the birds don't just march out the door when you open it. These systems are designed to confine and keep them in. And so a mere act of trying to give them some access even if they don't take it and then shutting the door every day is enough to give you the ability for the USDA to approve the use of free range on a meat product. Not very much and no verification at all. Mm. I was going to ask that because we know that the best labels have independent certifiers to make sure that the production method truly matches what the label says. That's right, and there's so many interesting ones out there that are pushing the envelopes in terms of worker justice, mm. like the Ag Justice Project out there, which is a, a bolt-on to the organic label. So you have to have a organic farm to begin with, and then this is an add-on for worker justice. It's a really great and uh, rigorous label, and it has to be verified Grass-fed, there are a lot of good choices for simply grass-fed, but also hooked on to organic. It adds a lot of value. And so, yeah, there are, and then there's the animal welfare components, and uh, labels like animal welfare approved are really at the height of even getting to the slaughterhouse, even dealing with how animals are transported. 
Mm. That's one of the few labels out there that's actually looking at those issues, kind of the end of life for the animal, which is really, frankly, one of the scariest parts for the animal. And if you care about animal welfare, it's a part of the animal welfare chain that really does matter. And we don't talk about it enough, even those of us who work on these issues a lot, but it is the next kind of frontier of what we need to talk about in terms of sustainable you know, truly sustainable systems in meat production. Yeah. You know, I have to just mention one thing about the eggs because there's a a supermarket in my neighborhood where eggs are sold with a little uh, statement that says these chickens are fed a vegetarian diet. Mm -hmm. And that is supposed to, I guess, connote some sort of healthful diet, but we know that chickens are omnivores, and so really, if we want free-range chickens, they wouldn't say fed a vegetarian diet, because of course that means corn and soy likely being kept indoors. Yeah, that's absolutely right, and even putting in some amino acids in there to try to add for supplementation. I'll say in organic, we still have to get rid of one of these synthetic supplements in chicken feed called methionine, but that said, it's still a whole lot better than the conventional industry and what's allowed in those diets. And it doesn't mean much, does it? But it it sure sounds good. It Um, does. Sure sounds good. So if I'm in the marketplace and I want to buy what free range connotes to me, which, and probably yeah. everybody else, you know, that the, that the animals are happy, they're outside, they're pecking away in a pasture. What is the label I should be looking for? I'm going to say that there's not one label that's going to get you necessarily everything. And often you're not going to find necessarily everything. But I'm going to maybe explain what the ideal is, and if you can support these things, they're really great things to support under certified labels. And there's organic, certainly, which does a lot for the environmental health and using less pesticides and not synthetic fertilizers, which is better for soil health and things like that, and that all matters. Those are That is a very good fundamental production practice. Uh, in animal welfare, if that's really your main concern, organic doesn't go far enough and it knows it and there's some policies that are t- tangled up and I think delayed infinitely right now on animal welfare and organic. So you may need to look for certified humane or animal welfare or the GAP label, which is one that people might find at Whole Foods. In addition to those, GAP also has its own stepwise program. And Certified Humane has its own certified meat, too, and may not be organic, but it does a lot of things on the animal welfare side. Worker Justice, we talked a little bit about the Ag Justice Program, and that's a worker welfare program dealing with domestic produce, unlike Fair Trade, which is primarily dealing with more international. And that's a side that really was more developed in coffee and tea and places of the world where there's a lot of poverty, but as we know, farming in this country has its own problems, and worker justice is so important both in terms of production and processing. And so it's really nice to have and see a label happening on the domestic scale the way it is. When you think about what's truly sustainable, it's sort of the intersection of those things, the animal health, the environmental health, the worker health, and ultimately that impacts the health and the safety of the final product itself. And 
one really fascinating thing in one of our studies we did in 2015 was on ground beef. And when we looked at beef that was produced, you know, either without antibiotics, but went even beyond to do organic or do organic and or grass-fed, it was really interesting to see the gradient of less E. coli that we found mm-hmm. and in those more sustainable systems and less multidrug resistance, statistically significantly different in more sustainably operating systems, but especially grass-fed organic. And I think that's what's really telling is that when you look at all parts of the system and you're trying to optimize all the different parts, that's when you're going to have the best impact when it comes down to safety, when it comes down to sustainability. And choosing any one of those things is still good. And ultimately, we have to get to a more holistic system that deals with all of them. So for now, it's not one label, but knowing what those labels that do mean something mean and making those better choices at the store. And if consumers want a quick cheat sheet or a place to go and relearn or learn what these different terms mean, do you have a few favorites of places where people can go? Yeah, I think Animal Welfare Approved has a great site called A Greener World, and they have done really nice work summarizing a lot of different claims on meat. So it's a great label website for meat and really gets into what the labels mean and what they don't. Farm Forward has a website. I believe it's mostly on poultry, but it gets into the brands of poultry. And so a little bit beyond the label, they're really trying to cover more of the poultry market. And they have their own sort of rating schematic, but it is a helpful guide in terms of who's really doing good work out there when it comes to Again, this sort of panoply of different areas and justice areas. So that's another good resource. The Eat Well Guide's not a bad resource in terms of typing in your zip code and finding out where you can find reliable places to get sustainable food that's local to you. And I'll put a plug in for what we started two decades ago, which is the eco-label site on Greener Choices at Consumer Reports, which also has a good breakdown of labels on all sorts of food products and what they mean and what they don't as well. Well, we just have a minute left, so I want to put the ball in your court. Is there anything that you want to leave consumers with? Yes. that If the message seems too simple, it probably is. And if you're out shopping and you see things like no antibiotics or antibiotic-free Ask yourself why they're used in the first place and are there other things that could be used to achieve those purposes and almost be a cheat for looking like you've gotten rid of antibiotics because that's what's currently going on in most of our animal product mainstream lines out there and that's not good enough. And in order to deal with antibiotics and drug use, you have to have a clean system. And in order to have a clean system, you have to have good hygiene and good animal health. And in order to have those things, you have to have good animal welfare. And in order to have a healthy farm, you have to have a good balance between the animals and the crops and the growth and the soil. And it is an ecosystem. And any one thing if it sounds like that's the cure-all, it's probably too good to be true, and it is. And that's why systems like organic and even more with animal welfare and worker justice are so important, and they're so, they are, unfortunately, the non-simple story to where we have to get to. 
Well, Dr. Rankin, I want to thank you so much for being my guest. I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgard at KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. And just a reminder, we have been speaking with Dr. Urvashi Rangan, Chief Science Advisor for Grace Communications Foundation and formerly the Executive Director, Food Safety and Sustainability Center and Director of Consumer Product Safety at Consumer Reports. Thank you so much for your time with me and the work that you've done to create a safer, more nutritious, more regenerative and healthful food system. Thanks so much, Melinda. It was great to be with you. 